Oh, hi, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you. I am... Um, Someone came up to me and was like, oh, you've gone for the Christmas theme. I was like, no, we do not talk about Christmas until December. This is just a red jumper. Um, But yeah, I'm Rachel, and it is uh, wonderful to be with you guys today. Um, We're starting a new series called How to Live Well, looking at um, Luke 6. I don't know if uh, someone asked you for a top tip of how to live well, what you would give them, whether that would be informed by how you've been brought up or perhaps how your friends live. Um, As you can probably hear, I'm not from around here. I grew up in a town called Scunthorpe up north, beautiful part of the world. I've got a wave. Have you ever been? Oh, this is amazing. People from Scunthorpe, my hometown. Um, It's a wonderful part of the world. Um, But I I grew up there. My parents weren't Christians. They never went to church, had no real interest in that, kind of believed in God. But um, my dad particularly was very anti-established religion uh, to the point where my parents never got married. Uh, They were together like 30 years. But my dad was like, "Uh -uh, I'm not going near a church um, to get married. Um, So I guess I grew up um, inheriting their understanding of what it meant to live well, Um, also inheriting their skepticism towards religion and church and Christianity. And they'd enjoyed a pretty free life Um, throughout the 60s. They were hippies, so they enjoyed music and drugs and partying and traveling and various different beliefs. And um, so for them, the idea of a good life, how to live well, was a free life, was a life free of responsibility, free of rules, and free of what anyone else might think, particularly what the church might think. My dad was always say, live how you want to live, not how other people want you to live. Obviously, be nice to people, but you don't need to um, yeah, conform to anyone. And so I remember um, when I started attending church, my friend had invited me. Actually, they'd conned me a little bit. They said, oh, do you want to go like, for a night out? And I was like, yeah, great. And then I turned up Friday night at a church. I'm like, this wasn't what I thought you meant by night out. But there was music, and people were lovely, and there was free food, and that's always great. So I was really enjoying it. Um, so I started to go back each Friday, and my dad um, heard about this, and he sat me down. He said, Rachel, we need to chat. Um, he said, look, I know that you're going to church, and you know, if you want to explore God, that's a noble thing to do. But he said, I tell you now, you will not find God within the four walls of a church. He said, I'm not going to stop you from going, but take it all with a pinch of salt which, as you can see, I've clearly followed his advice. Um, But he had a point. You know, religion can be weird. Christians can be weird. Church can be weird. There was this one guy who um, was at this youth group who also went to my school. He was a few years older than me, and he started to recognize me at the youth group. And I hadn't really told my friends that I was going to church. And so he'd come up to me, like, really super happy and cheesy and be like, hi, Rachel, it's great to see you. And would, like, try and give me a high five. And I would just, like, avoid him and give him a wide berth. Don't know who that crazy guy is. Is. Whoever he was, he didn't seem very, I don't know, in touch with reality. Anyway, the ironic thing is, um, he's actually here today. His name's Andy. He attends this church, and we're married. <laughs> it's funny how things work out, hey? His evangelism paid off. But um, our reading today is in Luke 6, so I don't know if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to page 1043. Um, It's a story about Jesus, but also about these other guys called the Pharisees. And it's about two encounters Jesus and the Pharisees have, both on the Sabbath, which was known as a day of rest. And Luke 6, verses 1 to 11, says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn, rub them in their hands, and eat the grain. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, 
Have you never read what David did when him and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, taking the consecrated bread. He ate what is only lawful for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. In this passage, we have a clash, a clash between Jesus and the Pharisees, a clash in their understanding of what it means to live well. The Pharisees seem to have one understanding of what it means to follow God, of what a godly life looks like, and Jesus seems to have another And I guess tonight I want us to explore what we can learn from Jesus about what it means to live well, how Jesus helps us in that, and perhaps how it was different to the religious people of the day. But who were these Pharisees that Jesus clashed with? Well, they were a religious group at the time of Jesus who were very interested in obeying the law, the law as found within our Old Testament. It was called the Torah. And they were so interested in meticulously following it, but not just for their own holiness so that they could feel holy as a Jew, but also for the purity of the whole nation. See, the Pharisees were kind of an unofficial, um, self-appointed behavior police. They were those who were looking and making sure that Jews were observing the strict rules that they found within the law. Because they had the belief that this holiness would lead to God blessing them and ultimately God rescuing them. At that time, Israel was under occupation by the Roman Empire and they thought their way to see God act would be if they kept all the rules and followed it to a T. For the Pharisees, godly living and living well meant observing the rules. And we see in this passage, I guess, the kind of religiosity my dad warned me about. And the kind, if we're honest, that many people probably expect to find in the church or to find with Christians. But in this passage and elsewhere within the Gospels, we find that when God becomes flesh and walks amongst us, he doesn't come in the form of a legalistic religious Pharisee. Jesus isn't particularly on the same page as these people. Jesus in this passage is redefining to the religious what godly living looks like. Again and again, Jesus and the religious elite of the day clash. They disagree over Jesus' interpretation of the law, of God's commands. And they disagree about what kind of life God desires his people to live. Jesus aggravates them. In this passage, it says they're frustrated, they're annoyed by him because Jesus is challenging their understanding of a godly life. He eats and he socializes with the unclean, with the rejected and the marginalized. The very people that the Pharisees thought were a threat to their faith, 
are the very people Jesus calls friends. The very people the Pharisees thought were a threat to their purity as God's people are those Jesus shows to be at the center of what God is doing. It's those he heals. It's those he spends time with. It's those he includes. If you feel on the edge of faith, if you feel on the edge of the church, it's likely Jesus would have wanted to spend time with you. Jesus shows us in this passage that God's presence and his holiness does not need protecting and preserving, but is to be enjoyed and shared. Following Jesus is about life, not legalism. It's a question I sometimes ask myself, and I guess my dad would remind me of. When people look at me, do they see a Christian that looks like these Pharisees? Or do they see a Christian that looks and sounds and behaves like Jesus? The Pharisees say to Jesus, Why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? In other words, why are you breaking our rules? Why are you following God in a way that we're not? Elsewhere within the Gospels, the Pharisees complain about Jesus and his disciples. They say, why are you eating all the time? We're fasting. Why don't you fast more? It's almost like they're saying, why are you having so much fun following God when we're not? What is that about? Within this passage, the point of contention specifically is about the Sabbath, Now, the Sabbath was a day of rest. It was meant to be a delight, a joy. It was meant to be liberating, the freedom to rest, the freedom to not have to work, but to enjoy creation. Stepping back from the idea that we as humans run the world and own the world, and to acknowledge that we are just human and God is God. He is the one who keeps the world spinning. He is the one who keeps things living and growing. And that will carry on even if we take a day's rest. This was meant to be a good thing. But in their eagerness, people had wanted to figure out, but what does it mean to rest? What can I do? What can't I do? And they'd made all of these rules. And suddenly what was meant to be a gift had become something to feel guilty about or righteous about. In this passage, we find with this one act of eating grain that the disciples do, they've broken four rules. Who thought a snack could be so illegal? Something that was supposed to be liberating had become a burden. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've got those friends when you go on holiday and they do the thing that should never be done on a holiday. And you get that email, they've created an itinerary. They should be banned from holidays. If you're one of those people, maybe it's a gift and maybe it helps you enjoy your holiday a bit more, I don't know. But no good holiday starts with having to be out the house at 8 a.m. Let's just clarify that. And I guess what what happened here is that they'd added so many rules onto the Sabbath, it was like they'd added an itinerary to the holiday. It defeated the point. What was meant to be a gift that brought life had become something to feel guilty about. In this passage, we see the Pharisees, they're doing the maths on whether Jesus is observing the Sabbath correctly. They're asking, can you snack on the Sabbath? Can you heal on the Sabbath? Instead of enjoying it and of enjoying the presence of God. And in doing so, in focusing on the religiousness of this, they missed what God was doing. They missed that the Lord of the Sabbath was walking amongst them. They missed the wonder of the one they couldn't fully understand in favor of the smallness 
of the laws that they did understand. For Jesus to say that he is Lord of the Sabbath is a divine claim. He's saying he is God. He is the one who brings our rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. In Matthew 11 verse 28, Jesus says these incredible life-giving words. And it's an invitation to you and I today. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're a Christian today, I want to ask you, has that been your experience of following Jesus? Have you found rest in him? Is it light? Is it freeing? Are you enjoying your relationship with God? Or do you feel burdened? Burdened with guilt and shame for all the times you've fallen short of the rules you think you're meant to live up to. Or perhaps you just feel stale in your relationship with God. A constant disappointment. But Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came to make life lighter, not heavier. Jesus gives us life and following him is about life, not legalism. As I said before, my dad warned me when I started going to church. He said that religion is all about controlling people, that it was restrictive and that the best way to be free and to enjoy life was to be far from it. And maybe that's what religion sometimes is about. Maybe that's what we find for the Pharisees it was about. But that is not what following Jesus is about. I found following Jesus to be the most liberating decision I have ever made. See, my dad's understanding of freedom and of enjoying life and what I was brought up to think and what perhaps many within our secular society or many of your friends, colleagues, families would think is that freedom is about being commitment-free. It's about being moral-free, conscience-free, responsibility-free to be your own boss, free of rules, free of consequences. I said before um, that my parents, they were hippies and they, they kind of um, lived in London for quite a while and um, they live pretty free lives. So when my dad ever comes to visit, sometimes we'll be walking the dog and we'll see a really nice house and he'll be like, oh, you see that house? I'm like, yeah. He'll be like, oh, I live there. So like, you live there? How did you live there? He was like, oh no, I squatted there for six months. I was like, you squatted there? Like you didn't pay any rent? He went, no, not a penny. I was like, well, what? I've got to get myself onto this idea. Like, rent is really expensive in London. And my dad was a very free person. He wanted to be free of rent. And perhaps that's one idea of freedom. I mean, I would love that. But actually, I think it's a myth that freedom can be found in simply being free of commitment, free of responsibility, or free of rent. That doesn't necessarily equate to experiencing freedom. Rather, I found I've experienced freedom most through my commitment to Jesus, not by being free of commitments. There's an incredible verse in Galatians um, that I read not long after I'd been a Christian, and for me, it really redefined my understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus and what Christianity was all about. Um, Paul writes um, this passage 
to a church that is also struggling with the same legalism that we find the Pharisees struggling with. They're trying to get their heads around the grace of God, this life and this freedom that is available to them in Jesus. And Paul writes this in Galatians 5 verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This blew my mind that at the core of Christianity is freedom. Freedom. Jesus died not that I would feel this obligation to be at church every Sunday, an obligation to pray, an obligation to read my Bible, an obligation to not get drunk or have sex before married or lie or hate, an obligation to also tithe on my income. That isn't all Christianity is about. It's about freedom. Jesus sets us free to enjoy that freedom, to enjoy life. Not only do we see that Jesus redefines what godly living looks like, but he also redefines what true freedom looks like. True freedom comes through Jesus, a commitment to following him, the one who brings us freedom. As much as my dad may have felt free from responsibility and paying rent, actually it didn't matter when circumstances of life came along. No matter the way we live, no one of us is immune from the rubbish life can throw at us. Doing whatever you want when, you're, when you want doesn't help when things come along that you, you can't escape. When I was um, 14, um, I'd just become a Christian, um, and my mum had had a, a battle with cancer, and she passed away. And my dad um, really began to struggle with depression, and he never really got over losing her. And over the next few years, my relationship with my dad became very difficult. Um, and I left home at, at 17, and I found myself in a spare bedroom at a friend's house, pretty much with a bag of clothes, and just, I guess, processing um, the disappointment of what had gone on and I guess I felt really trapped by my situation. And um, I'd run away, but it felt like the problems were still with me. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to afford to live. And I was thinking all these practical thoughts. I had a job at Pizza Hut in Scunthorpe, but I didn't have a car. And the bus route didn't go there. And I was like, how am I going to keep my job? I don't know how I'm going to afford to live. And all of this, I guess, burden and this heaviness fell upon me. And I did the only thing I knew left to do, and that was pray. And as I was praying, God led me to a passage um, in the Psalms, and it's Psalm 27, verse 10. And it just says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And in that moment, I experienced this freedom. It was only possible by the Holy Spirit that despite what had gone on with my mum and that despite what was going on with my dad, I was loved and known and found by God. Christianity is not about a religion of rules, but a relationship that gives life. Knowing you're loved by God, knowing your life is held by him, is the most freeing experience we can know. Despite all that was going on in my life at that time, I experienced a freedom and a liberty that only Jesus can bring. The freedom of being his and my whole life ever since has been a journey of walking into that freedom that he has for us. Freedom from pain. Freedom from disappointment. Freedom from failure. Freedom from being an orphan or a widow or sick 
Jesus desires for us to walk into that freedom with him. So if you're here today and you don't feel very free, perhaps you feel heavy, whether it's with circumstance, guilt, shame, addiction, sin, anxiety, whatever it may be that is resting upon you, whatever pressure is upon you, then you're missing out on the very thing Jesus died for you to know. Freedom. It is for freedom that Jesus has died for us. And if we don't experience freedom as Christians, it's like driving to a theme park and not going on any rides. It's like eating Sunday dinner without gravy. Who would do that? Freedom is what Jesus brings wherever he goes whether it was to this man with a shriveled hand experiencing the freedom of being healed or whether it was to me as a 17-year-old experiencing the freedom of though feeling like I'd lost my parents, the freedom of being loved and cherished by him. So today, whether it's disease, illness, pain, or sin, guilt, or shame, Jesus wants to set you free. I wonder what he might want to do in your life today what that might look like. So Jesus redefined godly living, and he also redefined true freedom. And in these passages, we see that Jesus gives us life, and he gives us freedom, but he also gives us wisdom. This life and freedom we know in Christ doesn't come without any guidelines or instruction or wisdom. In this passage, we see that Jesus didn't start a rebellion against the commands of the Bible. He didn't sack off the Sabbath and say, let's not bother with any of that. But rather, he offered a new interpretation of it, one that was about life and not legalism. He got to the heart of why God has given us commands in the first place, in a way that the Pharisees were missing. In this passage, Jesus doesn't abolish the need for us to live a godly life, to live right, but rather he redefines it. The Christian life doesn't revolve around following rules, but it revolves around following a person. And God's wisdom for our life is found in Scripture. These instructions and commands are for our life, are for our freedom, are for our flourishing, not our hindrance and restriction. When we find something that is good or wise or helpful, we love to share it. Whether it's a good restaurant or a good recipe, we love to tweet about it, to blog about it. And actually, when I'm chatting with my friends about life and we come upon the difficult things of life, whether it's marriage problems or singleness or depression or struggling with a miscarriage, or struggling with debt, whatever that problem may be, the place I go to is Scripture. Because it's gold. It's full of wisdom. Within Scripture, we find a depth of wisdom that God makes available to us of how we can live free lives, of how he desires us to live. What we have in Scripture is not a straitjacket full of instructions seeking to restrict and hinder us. But what we see in Jesus is that the wisdom found in here is a path to life. It's for our freedom. I wonder for some of us today, maybe the key to freedom in your life will be found in following God's wisdom for your life. Where maybe you wrote it off as irrelevant or optional to your faith. 
A key to freedom for you in this season might look like self-control. It might look like discipline. It might look like applying patience. Perhaps God would want to bring freedom to your life through forgiveness, generosity, being truthful in that relationship. Perhaps freedom will come through a difficult but godly choice to follow Jesus. Within Proverbs 4, it encourages us to get wisdom. It says at all costs, and it explains how it leads on the path of life. In verse 7 and verse 12, it says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Because when you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction and do not let go. Guard it well, for it is your life. God's wisdom is so that we may walk on a straight path, so that we may walk and not stumble, so that we might not be hindered. God's wisdom is for our freedom. And so I pray today that you would let Jesus redefine in your understanding what godliness looks like. You would let him redefine in your understanding what true freedom looks like. And that maybe you would realize they're actually the same thing. The Christian life is not one of legalism, religiosity, restriction, but life, freedom, and wisdom. Jesus has always been in the business of setting people free, and he's still doing that today. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, Paul says this amazing truth, this amazing fact. He says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom. And the Spirit of God is with us tonight. There is freedom available to you. We're going to continue in a time of worship, and it's an opportunity to respond to this invitation of freedom that Jesus offers you. Perhaps today it's about realizing that following Jesus isn't about following rules, but a person. Perhaps Jesus wants to set you free from any guilt and shame you felt of inadequacy, of not living up to the mark. And he just wants you to experience life in him. Or perhaps you're here today and you've tried living life your own way, with your own wisdom, doing what you want, when you want. And actually God wants to bring freedom to your life through you making a commitment, a fresh commitment to follow him in every area of your life whether it's in relationships or finance, at work, trusting him for things. I really sense God wants to bring us freedom today. I'm Bear Grylls. My favourite way to start the day, the Bible in one year. That's how wild I am. Find out more at BibleInOneYear.org or download the Bible in One Year app.